0: Welcome to
1: the studio, Jaden Nicarima. Yes, g'day, g'day.
0: The boys that I lent on were into drugs and alcohol, and then I got caught, and I was just thinking in my head, like, what have you done? It's like a proper path to self-destruction. You don't need a name to be able to help people. You just got to... Like, have it within yourself to want to do it. And I am who I am today because of their mistake. And it's hard, like, knowing what the issue is and
1: the NRL not doing anything about it till this day. By helping other people the way you were, you're really helping yourself more than anyone, aren't you?
0: I'm the biggest winner out of this. <laughs>
1: <day>. <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: a newborn child, they say. Great Butt
1: Radio,
2: coming through on your wireless. All right, we're on. Go, Derek.
1: God, now I'm, nervous. <laughs> <Fucking hell. laughs> I'm Right-o. nervous welcome back to the uh, trademark radio studio it's been a little it's been a little while been a little Hiatus between drinks has been violence, a long time but, um yeah we couldn't be luckier to have a, a better guest in the studio to kick us back off again now this bloke is a famous trademark model superstar model in fact he's uh, played in the uh, NRL and Rossi what's the last point?
2: Well, the last point was that you were going to make something up that was going to be funny.
1: The third thing we don't have, but anyway, welcome to the studio, know you know Thanks for having me, guys.
2: Mate, pleasure. Um, bit of a backstory. We were introduced to you through Glenn. Glenn Azar was on our podcast. Uh, I reckon it was almost a year to the day we had Glenn on because it was my wedding anniversary, which is next week, and it was that day. I remember talking to Glenn about that, remember? So that's weird. Nearly a year oh, to the Oh,
1: because um, you were going to go visit the marriage council. We went to
2: the marriage council for our first wedding anniversary. Fuck, yeah. I've book that in for next week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're on the rocks. Better get that checked in.
2: Better get that checked in. But, um, yeah, Glenn was um, awesome to intro us to you last year. And you came out. You had a chat. or um, well, Glenn had a chat to our team and then intro you to us. And, mate, it's yeah. been awesome. We were in a photo shoot last year at the Wildside. And, uh, finally, we can get you in here and, and have a really good yarn. So, mate, appreciate the time.
0: No, mate, I'm... A Glenn's little apprentice. He's uh he's the goat. We call him MG down at uh the gym, mind guru. So um I'm happy to be here. It's quite funny that it worked out nearly a year yeah, yeah, in advance
2: too. So that's awesome. Yeah, well I suppose your backstory, um, a lot of people know obviously your last name with your brother that playing now for the Warriors and you were just in the Warriors system and we'll talk on that in a bit. But I mean, we'd love to know your, your background, where you're from originally and um yeah, the 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 lead into the NRL and how you got there.
0: Yeah, so I'm New Zealand-born, born in Palmerston North, uh, but I moved to Australia when I was eight. Uh, that was due to Cody, Cody's footy career. Uh, he got picked up in New Zealand, which is quite odd. Moved to New Zealand, uh, moved to Australia and then, yeah, we played footy uh, at North's Devils, Aspie Devils through our junior footy. Cody he must have been,
2: how young was he when he got? Uh, he was like 10, uh, 11 or 12. And they the whole
1: yeah, family,
0: yeah. The whole so family they, relocated. Yeah, so they asked Cody to come to Australia. Mum was sick of dad in the army, just over it. So, dad's got an army background. Mum was working for the police, answering, answering the triple zero calls. Whoa. So, they're pretty strict parents, tough parents. They've seen everything. Um, but yeah, mum was over it. So, we moved to Australia. Cody made his first rep uh, site at 12 years old and then got picked up by the Broncos at 12. I was a little bit behind. Uh, I got picked up by the Bronx at 15. And then from then on, my footy career just took off. I made Australian schoolboys, Q- Queensland schoolboys. I got signed at 17 uh, into the NRL system straight out of high school and, yeah, everything was gone gold for me. Um, signed a big contract at the Bronx as a 17-year-old uh, just for a year and then um, I was coming off contract with uh, While playing under 20s as a 17 year old Which there probably would have been only about 10 boys doing at the time And I had options I had about 7 different NRL clubs chasing after me And myself and Cody were both vying for the fourteen position at the Bronx There would have been about 2 others Cody was definitely number 1 um, And then I was a bit below him And I just thought I don't want to go up against my brother in the sa- With the same position um bronx were actually offering me the same uh offering me better money than they were offering cody so it was kind of funny that like they wanted me a bit more than him but um i seen the opportunity at the roosters to go to the next level they're offering me the number six jersey and that's what i did i signed at the roosters i debuted the following year as an 18 year old played a world club challenge over in England with uh, the Chooks and my contract there, I signed three years as an eighteen-year-old. I think it was about seven hundred k over three years. So, man, I was laughing.
2: <laughs> it, w- it was kind of hectic. That is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and, but, but run us through that, you know, because everyone looks at the Roosters and obviously what they've been through the last couple of years. Like, I'm a mad South fan, so I can't stand the side of <laughs> Roosters. But you know, like you, I do, you know, respect them in the sense that they've run, they run an amazing outfit. Like Trent Robinson, and they're like. And Big Uncle Nick, like how he sort of orchestrates everything in the background. Like what was the process of them coming, introducing themselves to you and then, you know, bringing you across to the Roosters? What was that like?
0: Yeah, I got picked up. Uh, my manager actually called me and said that Trent Robinson wants to meet you. So they flew me to Sydney. We went to, I thought the restaurant's called. It was such a nice <laughs> restaurant, eh? And Trent Robinson just had like a one-on-one conversation with me, which no real other clubs like had done. It was usually like their scouts doing it with you. And Trent pretty much has had, I call that the human connection. Like he connected with me on different levels. And I was just like, all right, this guy actually does care about me. I'm going to sign there. And the culture there is second to none to this. The standards that they train to, um, that they hold themselves to around the club, the respect that you have to have for not just the players, but all the staff, including the marketing team and whatnot. Like that's why they've won – uh, what, two, three Trophies in the last Five years So yeah, yeah. They're now one of the best teams In the comp But um, When I signed there They hadn't won a premiership yet So I was in that building phase And um, Yeah They lived to a high High standard uh, A standard that I couldn't live up to I wasn't ready to live up to And That's where I found myself uh, getting in a bit of trouble there.
1: As an 18-year-old, you must have, um, I think back to when I was 18, and when you're 18, you think, you know, you kind of think you're the man. You think you got a maiden now, school's over, and, you know, we're ready to go, but getting taken out to a nice restaurant with, you know, the coach of the Roosters and, you know, having it all out laid out for you, you must have felt like, you know, you were really up there playing with the big boys very suddenly.
0: Man, I did. I felt like that when I was at Brizzy. So I was going out with, like, the top NRL players, State of Origin players. Um, and then when I got the offer to go to the Roosters or seven other clubs, like your head just goes that big. Then you get offered 700K over three years. You get the chance to move out of home by yourself into the big world, Sydney. Like, yeah, it just got the better of me at the time. And I
1: think any 18-year-old without the support, without any support would have gone down the same path that I did. Well, I know the uh, – because I'm from Sydney originally and I know what I got up to in Sydney <laughs> as, a, as a when I was a young apprentice – and I was just on apprentice wages, but, you know, going out every, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know what it's like. Uh, but I certainly didn't have $300,000 in my back pocket, you know, after signing a big contract with. And they N- pay you monthly, too, because that's like a massive yeah. sum
2: of money that's coming in every month. Yeah, monthly. So. And do they set you up at all, like, in regards to, like, hey, look, you know, you're an 18 year old bloke, we're going to be giving you this money. Like, this is how we, you know, this is like a financial advisor we think you should talk to or anything like that. Or is it just here, mate, you're, you're employed, here's your money, rock up to training and play hard?
0: Yeah, it's the last bit. Like, they don't. Really think about that side, the welfare side. How to manage welfare and get on top of it early before there is actually a problem. Um, it would have been nice to actually have that, but I just got thrown all the cash.
2: And was um, it like what were you do- like? is it just in and out? We just like fuck partying hard, buying all the toys.
0: Yeah, well, lucky I've got a mum that loves me. Yeah. So she <laughs> she put money half the money aside, and then I had half to play with. So oh, I, I paid my bills straight away. Yeah. And then it was just playtime. And I still had like probably six grand to play with yeah. a month,
2: yeah, which is yeah, yeah, yeah stupid. Yeah. You're doing yeah, <laughs> two grand a weekend to party. That's fuck. You're having a pretty good party every weekend.
0: Yeah, yeah. and that's the r- main reason why I led down the wrong path. I didn't have any family there. Um, the people that I was so I got injured quite early. I did my hammy about six times. Played NRL um, just after a shoulder recon, and I just had no mojo. Lost my... Lost the way I play footy. Lost that little 12-year-old kid that you... Everyone... Well, that's the reason why I got signed yeah. because I was just playing footy and I didn't know how to play footy again. So, after round eight, I got dropped. Then you add in the injuries um, with it. You sort of try to lean on people that care about you. All the people that cared about me were back in Brizzy. So, it was just over the phone and I had to find someone physically to sort of lean on. The boys that I lent on were into drugs and alcohol and... For me, because I wasn't doing good at rugby league, which is my identity, I sort of try to find people away from rugby league that wouldn't talk about it. Um, And,
2: yeah, that's the sort of path I, I went down. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about, um, like, forgetting how to play. Because I was listening... Have you listened to Howie Games one with Steve Smith?
1: Yeah, you sent it through the other day. Yeah. I had a little listen to yeah. it.
2: Yeah, Steve Smith talks about how sometimes we're we'll batting and he just completely forgets how to hold the bat. Like, he's been he's like, at... What is it that I yeah, was always like, how doing? Do I, he's like, how do I hold this? And he was talking... Um, was early in his career, and, like, Adam Voges was at, like, the non-strikers end. And he, like, walks up at the end of the over, and he was like, mate, like, I've forgotten how to hold the bat. And he's like, <laughs> what? He's like, I actually don't know where my hands go. And he was just... So they ran a Nico pen out and put a line on his, like, um, in the web of his glove, and then a line on the bat so he could... And then he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right again. And it, like...
1: But to think that that could happen to one of the best bats in the world just forget how to hold his bat. It probably also goes to speak to sort of the, the mind frame, the, like the headspace you're in. Sometimes, if you're not fully there, you just kind of if it, the feeling also goes. And I think you talk about that feeling of being a 12 year old. And if the head is not quite where it once was, you just don't feel like the same person that you always were.
2: Because it can't be a chore, and it? it? Needs to be fun.
1: Oh, you've got to,
0: you've got to actually love the sport um, to be able to go. To the next level And I did at the time But when you had Obviously injuries And then you had the drugs in As well That messes with your brain um, yeah. The sort of endorphins That you get from Well that I was getting From the drugs Was awesome At the time But the endorphins That I was getting from Rugby league Were just so low So you sort of Obviously want to go yeah, yeah. Where, When you're feeling At your best And unfortunately for me It was at that time Taking drugs yeah
1: so, so run, it, yeah, so yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, it's not uncommon, right? The, what the challenges that you probably face, and are not uncommon for any young bloke or any young person, really at all, to go through that kind of stuff. It's probably d- the difference is that you're in the a bit more in the limelight. You probably get a whole lot of cash, and you've got a whole lot of expectation on your shoulders as well. Like, did you know that you were going down a negative path, or at the time, did you think you had it all in control? Nah.
0: Uh, so for me, I got away with everything during school um, when I was younger. I went to a school where because I was good at rugby league uh, there were no consequences for me and I lived through that through my whole footy career I remember one time I was playing um, 20s for the Bronx still a 17 year old and there was about 12 of us we went out in Townsville everyone got in trouble but me because I was a 17 year old and they didn't want to ruin their name so I got away with that so here I am taking drugs and alcohol on a big contract without any consequences in my past so I just thought man I'm bulletproof I'll get away with it and I got my first strike in June um, and that's just a slap on the wrist pretty much. I walked into the office of the CEO at the Roosters and he just goes to me, it's just you and I that know, the coach doesn't know, the players don't know. Um, you'll have to do 12 sessions with this doctor and then that's it. You've got If you get another strike within three years, um, that's your second strike and we'll be having another meeting. But if not, then the first one gets wiped away. And I remember I walked out of the office and I seen Trent Robinson and he just had a normal conversation with me. Nothing. I was probably shooting myself. And because he brushed it aside, I was like, oh, I've gotten away with another thing. And four months later, I get done with my second second strike and end up in court because I lied about it.
1: And did you? And obviously, you got to keep up that lie to your to your teammates. Like, did you tell anyone? I mean, surely some people would have known, right? Like,
0: yeah, a few a few players knew just because we were on on it together. And one of the other boys got caught for the first strike, but um. Yeah, for the second one, I knew that I was in trouble. So for your second strike, if you get caught, you either get a 12-match suspension and the club keeps you, or they rip your contract up. Now, I wasn't offering anything to the club. I was injured. I played about two games. And then outside of that, I wasn't giving back to anyone. So I knew that they were going to rip my contract up. At that time, too, I was talking to Bronx. I was a bit homesick. Wanted to come back home and I was about to sign um, like a two year contract with Brizzy, so I pretty much lost about over a mil, um, just over a, a mistake.
2: Far out. So what was that? So that second time. So obviously it's like a, I'm assuming it's like a piss test or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, piss. And so they, so they've called you in and you're like, holy fuck, I'm done here.
1: And then what was the mindset? You must have been shitting, you shitting yourself going in there. What? Yeah, well, we had our mad
0: Monday. Um I had I had I would have gone for three days. But for us, we we know that the drugs stay in your system for two to three days. I got tested three days later. I'd trained um, within that three days, so I thought I was sweet. Um I was stressing a little bit, so I was like asking one of the boys if he could do it for me, but then I was like, nah, just like just do it if you get caught, you get caught, who cares? Wasn't really thinking about it. I think at the time I was just over footy as well. So I was like, Oh meh, like it's it's nothing if I get caught I get caught. And then I got caught, and I was just thinking in my head, like, like what have you done? Like, you're just throwing away x amount of money. Um, you're gonna have to tell your mum, your dad that you're taking drugs, and they're fully against drugs and alcohol. They've they've seen it all. There,
1: f- yeah. They probably think you're perfect as well, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Like, especially mum, being a mummy's boy, like he never gets in trouble. And then, yeah, all these things are going through my brain. How can I get away with it? And I just decided to lie. Um, lie about it. I messaged one of the boys um, so I got caught playing cup and I messaged one of the boys in the cup team to take the fall because I knew that the NRL wouldn't like go to a cup team, they would kind of hopefully just brush it aside, yeah someone spiked his drink, um, we'll give his contract back and then move on put it on a stat deck and then I ended up going through court for like two years um, the guy that said he spiked my drink came out and was just brutally honest. He said I didn't do it. I got made to do it and unfortunately for him, he got in trouble as well for trying to cover me. Um, which I've it sort of yeah, sucks for him that I put him through that as well. But um for myself I ended up in like a magistrate court, cost me over an extra twenty thousand dollars, couldn't play footy for two years. So I proper lost all my identity as a rugby league player and Well, what made me happy was drugs and alcohol. I just dove deeper into that issue. I got done drink-driving, high range during that time, lost my license over a 12-month period and I proper hit
1: rock bottom. It's just a vicious
2: cycle. Vicious cycle.
1: It's like a proper path to self-destruction.
0: Oh, and it's all – I've only got myself to blame and uh, uh, hindsight's obviously a beautiful thing. I can look back on it now and be so appreciative of it. But if I had gotten away with um, the second strike, if – He, um, the guy that said he spiked me, if we both got away with that, then I wouldn't have learned anything. I would have been 25 now, would have had an extra meal, um, but I would have had a bigger drug problem, a bigger
1: issue, um, and I probably would have lost my family. So I suppose what you've gone through, I mean, it's pretty unique because, you know, the lies kind of sort of, you know, snowballed really and created a pretty bloody big issue there. Yeah. It's so probably a good lesson there. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> do you see? I suppose you would see a lot of this s- sort of similar kind of behaviour, you know, in footy teams that you played for, and in the NRL, and you know, potentially other people who get through and maybe don't have such severe consequences as what you as what you went through at the time.
0: Yeah, I see it all the time, and I look at them, and sometimes I just want to like pull them up and like just tell them this is why we're teaching you, but these kids will only take in what they want to take in sometimes and I can tell my story to them numerous amount of times but if they don't want to listen, yeah. they won't listen. So they just have to go through their own lessons to be able to to learn as well but that's sort of why we, we run these camps for 11 to 17 year olds which we'll get into while we talk to other footy clubs and while we're big on going into schools because I think for me the biggest problem is like taking accountability straight away. Yeah. I feel like especially as kids, you sort of look to elsewhere to blame. If we can get these kids to start taking accountability... If I took accountability of my actions on the first strike or the second strike, none of the rest would have happened.
1: Um, and that's where I think the biggest issue is. Absolutely. The You talk about your family, and I know you're a strong family man. Um, I've heard you talk about it before, but I can kind of relate, not to the same level, but, I mean, I got caught by a sniffer dog at uh, Good Vibes Festival in Sydney when I was, like, 19 years old with a few pills in my pocket. And I try, I didn't tell I could not tell mum. If mum found out, um, that's my life over. So I didn't, but I told my brothers, and they were, like, you know, helping me manage this situation or whatever, yep. until Maroubra Police Station sent a letter home to my to my house, and mum called me, and she's like, What's this letter from Maroochydore Police? Like, what the fuck's going on, Daniel? Like, you better tell me everything right now. And I was like, you're not a bra boy, eh? like, <laughs> completely freaked out. Don't think I went home for three days, but I was like, it was the most shame I've ever felt in my life. I was like, how I've let my family down. My mum, she's a single single mother. She's worked so hard, and here I am, am as a 19 year old. My life's over. How am I gonna How am I gonna come back from this? Like, the shame that you felt. Can you describe that? Like, how how you know how much did that weigh on you? Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. So when
0: I found out the second strike, I knew that I had to fly back to tell mum and dad just because I do not want them to find out in the media. Oh. I get back into Brizzy, uh, tell mum in the car, and she's absolutely distraught, crying on the way home. And then I was like, how do I tell dad? Um, she just goes, when you get home, just, just tell him." And I was driving home. We would have been about 20 minutes from home, and we get this phone call from dad. And he goes, uh, "She he called mum. He goes, he with Jaden? And he goes, yep. And he goes, bring him home. And I was like, knew at that point he oh, must have found out. Fuck. And I was like, fuck. <sighs> and I walked in and he goes, what is this? And showed me the Facebook post of me, like, Nick Rimmer gets done second charge. And I was just like, fuck. Like, one, I stuffed up because I've taken the drugs. But two, he's found out over Secondhand. social media. Yeah, and not from mm. me, um, the source. So that sort of hurt um, more and it was a bit more shameful. But. Just to see Dad crying in tears instead of, like, coming from our background, we're used to getting hiding. So I remember before I got out of the car, I put on three jumpers just getting ready. <laughs> just oh getting shit. prepared to get hit. <laughs> because, like, that's that's the easy option for us. Like, we, we like physical stuff. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hit here. But he just broke down crying. And just to see Dad's disappointment, Mum obviously in tears, I don't think they could have t- spoken to me for, like, three days just because... I just put them through through hell. Like I didn't just disappoint them, but like I disappointed our name. Cody's obviously um, in the limelight too, and he would have gone
1: through a bit around the, oh, yeah. the neural system as well. So Mate, yes. they must have just they they would have felt like that failed as parents or something. You know what I mean? Like that. I think that's what parents all do. They just it's all they think it's all their what fault. What have we like done? How, what, have, what have we done to make this happen? Yeah, I'm actually said that as well. But in reality, they, it's not. They, they can't control everything, you know what I mean? Well, it's just
2: like what you just said before. Like Every story you tell to the 10 to 17-year-olds that come through the, the um, system you guys have got going now, It's unless they listen and take it on board, they're still going to make the same mistake. So it's no matter how much you say to anyone or do anything, I think it all comes back down to everyone's got to learn the lesson themselves in one way or another where, of what severity. And
1: yeah. that's the biggest thing. Like, I say that as well. Like, we go out and do a bit of talking now, you know, as do you, and... You, you can, you can preach, you know, you can say, you can shout from the rooftops, but I also think people have got to make their own mistakes and like...
2: Yeah, well, all knowledge is, yeah, it's, it's most of the things that we do in life we've, is through things that we've made mistakes in and changed the way we operate, you know what I mean? Like, no matter how many people come out and say, people still make the
1: same mistakes all the time. So I want to ask you, because I remember when, what I was saying, when I, you know, when I got in trouble and I thought my life was over. The period of time after that, when like, you know, it's, you've, you've come out with it, it's already out in the open and everyone starts to heal. How, how did that look for you? Because I think there's a lot of young blokes and a lot of people out there who, you know, feel the shame of mistakes they've made and and, and don't like to take ownership of it out of fear of, you know. Yeah, but I think it was still like the vicious
2: cycle was still going for a while though, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So when did, like how long until we got to.
1: So straight after I went back home,
0: I, I got done drink driving. I i had nothing i dove deeper into the drugs and alcohol um and i would have lasted about two years i i just gave up on life pretty much and i was what were you doing were you working wasn't working at all i was just living at home so i bought a house when i was like 18 and mum and dad were pretty much just paying the mortgage up while i was living there i did um study a cert three and four in fitness which i'm so grateful for now because that's the sort of field i went into but i gave up on life i didn't want to be there, and I was at a point where I wanted to actually kill myself. Um, I remember talking to my little brother about it, um, and it would have been like probably two days before I was in bed and I was just crying and I just thinking myself like, bro, just get in the car, just drive, and just smash into a pole." Like, wow, you've got you've lost everything. You've embarrassed your family. Um, you've H- lost. How old contract. were you? Here? It would have been twenty. Fuck. Twenty years old. Uh, lost the contract. Um, yeah, I just felt like I had nothing. I Felt like a ghost, pretty much. Wasn't allowed to play rugby league. Wasn't even allowed to train with a rugby league club because um, my thing was still going through court. And I didn't know if I was going to jail or not, and I'd rather be dead than go to jail. So um, that was, yeah, just my mindset at the time. And so grateful I had a chat to my little brother, which is kind of funny because I'm supposed to be The one looking after him and... um,
1: See the one doing the YouTube videos? Yeah, the YouTuber. I checked it out, man. He's great. (laughs) How good are they?
0: (laughs) He's the man, but yeah, just talking to him. He broke down crying when I told him just because I can't lose you. And he sort of went through a bit of a phase. So he came out last year being gay and I was the one... uh, He was... uh, Yeah, I was the one he lent on too. So, um, yeah, I think just having that brotherly love sort of got us both through... Yeah, hard times.
2: So that, that conversation with him was a turning point for you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what was the next steps after that?
0: I went into my – I finished my Cert 3. So I reached out to a guy named Mark and he helped me at Fit Stop um, getting a job. But I think two weeks after that chat was when I met Glenn. And that was um, for our footy camp camp. Um, I was playing. I it was my first year back at the Dolphins, so I would have been training there for four weeks. We went into an army camp, and yeah, Glen Azer was there, and I rocked up eating half a tub of ice cream just because I'd still <laughs> give. What enough. I had still <laughs> given up on rugby league, but. It was still my. You were identity, there at yeah. the th-
2: at the camp eating the ice cream
0: on the way to the camp, <laughs> just eating ice cream. I was just What's like, what time? Is it early cook- in the morning? No. What ice nah, cream?
2: Nah, importantly, cookies and cream. <laughs> it had to be.
0: It was just before the start of it, and yeah, obviously, like I said, I w- I'd given up on life. I'd given up on rugby league, but it was still my identity. I was still good at it, and a part of me still wanted to get back in the NRL. I just didn't know how to. And I thought, well, everyone was telling me that like it was gone, um,
1: so. So you been you, you were getting told to give up?
0: Wasn't getting told to give up, but like the way that people were talk communicating to me, it's like mate, like it's gone, like you won't be able to get another contract now. And I felt like that too, just because Is that
2: because people think you're too much of a risk?
0: Too much of a risk. Um you you're known as the party boy and I was just living like that, like yeah week in, week out. Even the night before that camp I was probably out on the piss as well. Yeah. Um but yeah, I get to, to the camp with Pretty, pretty shit attitude, Sit at the back Didn't really want to partake Into the camp Glenn goes through All the mindset Stuff And he He said two things That really like Resonated with me The first one was Everyone wants to be a beast Until it's time to do What real beasts do Now for me I wanted to get back Into the NRL I still want to be A good person But I'm still out Taking drugs Taking alcohol um, And I want to be Like A big dog But I'm just Being a little pup Pretty much And I was just thinking to myself, far out, like, that resonates with me. That, that, that's me. And then um, two minutes later, I'm still, like, half daydreaming in and out, and he speaks about his son. Um, now, Christian is 17. I think he just turned 17, but he's got the brain capacity of, like, a eight-, nine-year-old um, now, and he can't do the things that we're, we're allowed to do. Like, it's a privilege to play rugby league. He can't play sports. And then Glenn, as a father, can't take his son to like any sport as well. Um, can't even take him to like a normal school. He has to go to a disability school in Aspley. And for me, my dad took me everywhere, he took me to footy trainings, helped me coach, uh, helped me help coach my team and did all these things. And here I am being disrespectful to him by not giving my my best effort. Um, by going behind his back line and then from that camp camp onwards we went into like a physical little activity and i just put 100 percent in um yeah wow well, it was
2: like a massive turning point
0: just that little mindset mixed with the physical component and then feeling good the next day after like finishing it accompli- accomplishing it i just reached out to glenn afterwards and i was like mate like i've spoken to psychologists i've been in touch with doctors just to help my mental state everything and what you've done in f- less than f- it was 16 hours, like, I can resonate with you. Can you help me? Um, and he just said yes. And I was thinking to myself, like, how much do I have to pay this guy to <laughs> actually help me? But he goes, mate, you you remind me a bit of my daughter. She's one that climbed Mount Everest. Um, she's a high performer, and I know you've got that in you, so I'll, I'll help you for free just to get you back on track. But just one rule, don't lie to me. And I was just like, fuck. Like this is easy. But <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at my past, it's not because I just lied all, all the time and um the first thing he said was when was the last time you took drugs? And it would have been like two months before that camp oh probably like two weeks before that camp. Told him that and then yeah, we just moved forward from then and here I am now.
2: Fuck wow. That's incredible, isn't it?
1: And I know how much like talking to Glenn, how much he's talked about you before and, and how You've done a lot for I him I think him too, you've done yeah. a lot for him as well, yeah, because, you know, I mean, obviously, yeah, you are. You're like a little, like a little protege, like Glenn's little project or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, like, you've reached out to him and asked for help, and I think there's a lot of power in that about, you know, the fact that you did just balls up and reach out and ask for help. And anyone who asks for help of anyone, you know, it's rare that you get a no when you, like, genuinely just want a hand. And he's yeah. just – and he's said, yeah, mate, come on, let's go. I don't know why I was so scared, like – I think because I was
0: feeling so low and just asking, like, there's probably anyone that goes through depression and, and whatnot, but it's just hard making that leap just to talk about it and get off your shoulders. But once you do, man, I had the whole world off my shoulders. And then once I took accountability for what I had done and just accepted the fact that that was me, but th- that isn't me and I'm not my mistakes, then I could move forward.
2: Yeah. But, I mean, th- the other interesting thing is too, I was talking to um, my... Um, sister's boyfriend About this the other night It's sort of like People that have got Like a major addiction To something it, They they can't erase The addiction They can just erase What they're addicted to And just change it For something else So like did you Is that the same for you Like you just threw yourself Into like so much Physical activity And being on the camps And doing that stuff With Glenn Like you just swapped Going out and partying Taking drugs on the weekends To going and thr- like thrashing Yourself in the gym Doing more podcasts You know what I mean Like you just addicted Yourself to something else Is yeah, that how you feel Yeah
0: well, I think That is right, and what I did was I just I changed my surroundings, and we talk about like you are the four people you hang around with. So if you hang around with four people that take drugs, alcohol, you're more inclined to become the fifth. Um, And yeah, I started hanging out with Brody, Zy, Glenn, people who like work in the gym, who love challenges, who always go out of their comfort zone. And man, I was running half marathons, and I ran a marathon. Then I was doing charity work, and I was getting the same feeling. From helping other people and doing that than I would on a three-day bender and just yep. changing that, um, finding out what my purpose was in or is in life. And for me, I love helping other people. Yeah. Um. And yeah. Once I got a hold of that, like, my life just did, went.
1: Did your um? Pa- did your parents like when you sort of? So I suppose Glenn became your mentor, um, and sort of coach and a, and a range of other things. But did your did you introduce him to your family? Yeah, I did. I think the first time we introduced him was when. So myself and Glenn did a, a podcast
0: on his Building Better Humans one. And it was a two-piece part where I just spoke about my story. And it was the first time I actually took I told it, yeah, yeah. told told my story. That's right.
1: It was in the, the paper as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. remember.
0: And then on the second part, he got my family in um, to talk about what they went through as parents because that's always important um, for them. And just to show other parents that it's normal. Anything can happen to your kid. Like we come from, a, I call it a perfect family and... Obviously, tarnished um, or went down the wrong path, which yeah. no one thought was possible. Um, and yeah, from that, mum and dad met Glenn. And yeah, to this day, we're we're forever grateful for what Glenn has done for me, um, but also my family now because mum's training at the gym with us. Is
1: she at Project Dad? <laughs> awesome. Dad
0: comes every Saturday as well. And I got like my whole family there. So,
1: do you train them?
0: Yeah, I try and I play. You flog them? <laughs> I flog them. Yeah. Uh,
1: did, you, did your old man come in wearing three hoodies? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> but when we were younger, dad used to touch us up, ma- make us run around the block. So whenever I get the chance to make him do extras, I make, make him do him it. Do it, do yeah, well. it was
2: interesting you're saying uh, before that the charity work and stuff like that, helping other people has been really good for you. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called The Book of Joy. It's like this guy, he followed um the Dele Lama and Desmond Tutu the Archbishop of South Africa, around for this speaking event. And they talked exactly about that, like what brings people joy is like inner happiness, but then also being generous and helping other people is what, you know, it's n- it's nothing material. And it was even the um, – we are on a talk yesterday with um, Alice Payne from QUT at the Queensland Museum. We were on part of a panel we're recorded t- with yeah.
1: the ABC, right, on the subject of the psychology of fashion. We but are, what and, we're two tradies.
2: And <laughs> An interesting thing that Alison said was that <laughs> there's a – you know, when someone does buy something new, um, the research has come out that the feeling and the euphoria of that, your euphoric feeling, is gone within one day. You know, whereas when you're going out and you're helping people and you're bringing yourself inner happiness and joy by helping other people rather than materialistic stuff, it has a longer-lasting effect, literally on how you are as a person, which is incredible. And if you don't really, really understand that until you go out and do it, I suppose, and you wouldn't have ever thought that fuck two two years ago, three years ago, You'd just be like. You know, I don't want to go fucking help anyone. I didn't
0: think I was capable. Like, I didn't feel like... Even when I was in the NRL and I sort of had a name for myself, I still, at that time, didn't think I had the right sort of aura to be able to help other people. And, man, like, I, you don't need a name to be able to help people. You just got to, like, have it within yourself to want to do it. And, yeah, once I got that want to actually be able to help people,
1: I just want more. That's yeah. cool. So what, what when you linked up with Glenn... What did it actually look like? So he's like, right, this is what we're going to do. This is what, you know, your new schedule looks like. You're going to be in the gym this much. Like, how did he – how did he sort of lay it out for you once you'd sort of agreed that you were you're going to go down this path? No, nah, so he –
0: first he got me to – we did this card um, not game but sort of top uh, – task thing that he wanted to find out what my core values were. Um, it was a card – there's like about 100 cards in there and then they all mean like different things, family, friends, adventure – um you name it and then like once i nailed down my top 10 he could figure out like what sort of person i was um and yeah how how he could help me uh, my first three were like uh adventure i liked adventuring which he's he's, he's a big
1: fan <laughs> of <laughs> yeah. um, he's got a dedicated vehicle for it as yeah. well <laughs> family
0: family was the second one and i think something to do with training was the third one so the, Sort of aligned with what he... He just built it all out yeah. of that. Yeah. And then yeah, from then he just got me in. He actually got me in at five o'clock in the morning, like for the first five sessions that we did, just to see if I was committed to it. And then once he's seen that I was committed to it, he put it all on the table for me and yeah, helped me out that way.
2: So what, um you know, everyone goes and tries, you know, when, you, when you've got the that mindset shift and you're like, righto, fuck, I'm going to go start exercising tomorrow, you know what I mean? Like, you start and then you get into it and then you're like, oh, I stayed up a bit late last night, fuck, the alarm's going up to 4.30.
1: It'll be all right if I don't go today. I just won't go today.
2: <laughs> you know, was there has there been a period when you started with Glenn and you're like, well, fuck, oh, this is, you know, this is a big commitment. I'm probably a little bit over it. Can I, you know, have you ever had a second thought or has it just been like into it the whole time?
0: I've been into it the whole time, mate, like – One of the first things that he did to me was he we set out, like, a 12-month plan, a goal. Then, like, you break it down nine months, six months, three months. Yeah, yeah. And then you go weekly. Each week, you set out non-negotiables. That'll lead you to your 12-month goal. So, each week, I was doing things um, sort of out of my comfort zone that were different. um, That would push me there, too. And I was uncomfortable sometimes. Like, I remember one of them, I had to wake up at 5 o'clock every morning and run, like, 3K... Just as like a little yep. uh, mental but physical challenge, and for me it wasn't physically challenging as such. It was more getting up at five. It's m. definitely the mental side, it, isn't it? Actually Doing a three k
2: run is is more mental than physical. Yeah, for sure. I reckon it's
1: putting your shoes on, mate.
2: It's so getting it's getting out of bed and like yeah. Because last year, same thing. I went through like a massive big stage. It was like sort of a three months. I was off the grog, and it was the same thing. Like I substituted having a drink to going to the gym. You know what I mean? Like just did the exact opposite. And um, I went away for a week. Went down to Canberra, um, to catch up with my grandparents, and it was like literally fucking one degree. And I was like, "Well, I've got to go. Like, I've got to, keep, I've got to get up and go." And it was just like fucking running around. But it was the mental state. It Wasn't the run that was hard. It was the mental state of getting out in this freezing cold weather, and fuck running around Canberra in pitch black at like five o'clock in the morning. You yeah. know, like that's the hard bit. I do I treatment. do
0: heaps of um, stuff that play with anyone's mental state at that time and like I have cold showers every morning I've been doing it for the last two years um, I sometimes I like set my goal or non-negotiable to read 10 pages for the whole week and seems easy but like getting home at 8 o'clock you're like oh, I'd rather be on Facebook Instagram yep. like just doing things that like or doing things that you don't want to do um, there's oh, heaps of non-negotiables that I set just to train my mind to be better so then when I do Get fortunate to do things that I like. I'm like I don't take it for granted because I feel like when I was younger I took heaps for granted.
2: Yeah. So are you still off the piss, or do you still drink grog, or?
0: Um, I still drink every now and then, but me and my missus now we um (laughs) we have we have a bet. Whoever drinks first this year is your five hundred bucks. So. You're
1: just knocking a cave. Oh no,
0: I. I, don't think, oh, I lost to her yesterday in bowling But I haven't lost to her since And she knew that too So she's like If there's going to be one thing That I can beat you in It'll be this And I'm like No you won't
1: You won't beat me <laughs> <laughs> I'm too competitive um, <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me about the cold showers yeah? Are you Because like In winter as well You're just like You're on Yeah how, how long? Well. How long are you in for
0: Um, Before work Usually, like, up to a minute, two minutes, but I could... Yeah, I like Are you setting it. right up? You're just, f- oh. like just wetting nah, yourself. you just get your head first, straight in, and just yeah. stand there. So,
1: no, you don't even, like, to start with the hot, then turn it to cold? Nah, nah, no, no. So <laughs> <I, laughs> that last little bit, that last little squirt of cold water, got it. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: um, I did that first, and the boys, one of the boys, Ben Shea, he's been a massive help for me, too. Um, Glenn, Glenn's helped him as well. He, he sort of started the cold shower thing within our group, and... I started with hot and then went cold and was telling him. He goes, "Mate, that's not that's not cold. Yeah, yeah, it's pathetic. You got to go full cold." And I was like, "Yeah, like right, that's pussy. that's full on." <laughs> so let's,
2: let's talk about um, like you know, obviously because I was talking to Glenn when you know this transition period was happening with you because he rang us up and said, oh, "I've done this thing with the Redcliffe Dolphins. You know, I've had this bloke reach out. It's been incredible." That
1: was literally when he came on our podcast, wasn't it? Because that
2: no, made- it was just after because we'd moved into here and I remember Glenn ringing me and being like, "Oh, you know." Um, yeah, this is what's happened It's like Because he said it was funny The coaches at Redcliffe were like Because apparently they weren't going Yeah And they were like Do this camp We don't want any of this airy fairy bullshit Just fucking Just get into these blokes And Glen was like Yeah, righto And they did all the airy fairy stuff And he was like The the coaches You must have had a WhatsApp With all the team And they were like wrang- Wrangling up And was like What have you done with these blokes Like they've completely changed Like they're f- completely different people And he's like Oh, I put all that airy fairy shit in there That you didn't want me to do <laughs> And, um, yeah, and then said that you'd reached out. And he said, you know, like, we're going to get this bloke back in the NRL. Like, fuck, that's my goal. Like, I'm going to get this bloke back playing footy and rebuild this guy, you know. And let's let's talk about what happened like end of last year at the New Zealand Warriors and, and that whole, you know, that whole thing that happened at you know, end of last year. I'd love to know more on that process and how that all came to be.
0: I still get um goosebumps talking about it today just because it was such a long process, like, over three, four years um of me rebuilding finding myself um and then becoming the best person that i could be and for me it wasn't always about rugby league it was about what can i do outside of rugby league that'll help my career in in league if it did um eventuate and um yeah i was fortunate enough to have a good life outside of rugby league working with glenn um having that smile on my face that was lost for three years. And by doing that, my rugby league just skyrocketed back to where I was. So I had that 12-year-old 12, 12 kid back in me. Now I still had I had six, or six, yeah, six injuries over the two-, three-year period as well and I was still smiling, which was kind of weird too. Like I was like, man, I shouldn't be feeling this happy. Um, but I was. And because I was helping other people um, outside of rugby league and I was doing all this good stuff, I think the Warriors seen that, um, and I hadn't played a footy in like 12 months, and they gave me an opportunity to to go to the Warriors, um, to go to New Zealand for a preseason, and yeah, I went to New Zealand in November, I think it was, um, or maybe December it was a week after our, our modelling for shoot, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I had the time in my life, I got back into a system where like, I think they sort of take for granted a little bit, like, there's ice bars, there's hot colds, um, something that I ha- had to pay a membership for <laughs> here here in Brizzy. <laughs> the training plan's all done. It's all specific to rugby league. I was doing my own training and sort of picking out different things from different trainings that you see on podcasts and YouTube. And just, yeah, the whole feeling of being an NRL player again was, yeah, something that I missed. Something that I really want to get back into. And unfortunately for myself, I did my shoulder again. Now, I sort of knew that I had a um, a bit of a tear in it before I went over. But just the opportunity to go over there. And I didn't go over there just for rugby league. I went over there purposely to see what the younger boys are doing and see how I can help them um, not make the same mistakes as me.
2: So That's pretty cool. When I flew over there. There wouldn't be many NRL players that give a fuck about what younger players are. You know.
0: When I flew over there, I could have moved in with my auntie and uncle, but I decided to move into the worries house where there was six younger boys living so then I can see what they do day in, day out, how they live, what they eat, what time they wake up, how much sleep they get, just so I can help out because I've obviously walked the path before um, and I know, know what to do. So if I could help them in some way, um, then I would. And, yeah, it was, it was obviously... Awesome living with them Helping them out And then by me doing that um, I obviously lost My oh, I had my shoulder surgery So I had to fly back Lost my Training trial contract But they sort of gave me Another contract Where I can help All the young boys Here in Brisbane Because we're um, About eight of them Had to fly over To play junior footy here So uh, The opportunity worked out In my favour I'm still In connection, I sort of contract with the Warriors Just helping out the younger boys And it's sort of the path that I want to go down Yeah In the future as well Sort of the welfare side of
1: things Absolutely, that's awesome That was something I heard when I I heard you on the radio With um, Jeral the other day And that's so interesting to hear you say that That you went over there with the intention to help other people But what not many people are talking about Is that by helping other people the way you were You're really helping yourself more than anyone, aren't you? Yeah, I'm I'm the biggest winner out of this (laughs) People
0: always look at, oh like um, the other people that you're helping are the winners, but for me, it I I get something out. Of, I get more out of it than what they would. Yeah. get out of it. Do
1: you? Oh, so yeah. you on. Go uh, on? I was just to say so
2: how much had it changed? Um, obviously it's a different club, completely different country. But like, how different was it compared to when you're in the Roosters system? You know, f- three or four years ago, compared to what you went into the Warriors over the you know Christmas period.
0: It was so different. The fact that. I was more grateful to actually be there. Like, I soaked up every minute. I was probably the first one, one of the first ones to get in, but one of the last ones to get out. When I was at the Roosters, I didn't really care. I just wanted to get out. I just wanted to spend my money on different things. I wanted to have fun um, getting drunk. So, I think just the whole mindset of why I was there, um, who I can help, um, and just... The name that I was representing, like, it it sort of meant more to me now at the the Warriors than when I was at the Roosters.
2: From from a culture standpoint, like, do you think that um, there are a lot of um, NRL players and stuff now that are still, you know, partying a lot? Or do you think the culture's changing? Like, is it so professional that, you know, like, there's barely any time for them to be going out and partying anyway? Or do you think there's still... A fair bit that goes on Like what is it
1: Mate, it depends if Fisher is involved At Byron Bay Yeah <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah Like obviously At the end of
2: the season People are fucking Letting their hair down But I mean like During the season Like the level of professionalism Because I assume that Especially now With COVID You know Everyone that's still Playing sport Is very fortunate You know what I mean To, to think that they're Still employed And there's actually A game that can be played So like Has, the, has it become A lot more professional People like Jumping on these Opportunities more Or are there still people That you know Sort of take the piss
0: yeah, see, I, when I was at the Warriors, like, their culture, they don't really have a drinking culture. And I guess that's because that's just where they come from. They're real family-orientated. Yeah. Um, But I can't speak on the other 15 clubs. Like, I wasn't really around it. When, during COVID, I was out doing challenges and sort of not hanging around the rugby league crowd. Now, there's definitely your good eggs in, in every workplace. Yeah. Um, But there are a few uh, the bad eggs, too. And I think if we can teach the young kids... The right way to do And If I can Tell my story If other people Through the NRL Can tell their story That have been through A bit of hardship Like your Ben Barber's Your Carmichael Hunt's I think we'll have less Of the young ones Making mistakes but
2: Yeah it's tough And I spe- well, Yeah you, you look at guys Like Ben Barber And, and um, Carmichael Hunt You know Two blokes with The little most little amount of talent, Most yeah. amount of natural talent You'd ever come across like They say Carmichael Could have played um, Basketball for Australia And stuff like that. The guy's just a f- Complete freak um, how hard is it, you know, looking at those blokes and looking and you know being like, fuck, all you all, all we needed to do was this. Like, is it hard for you looking at those those blokes and seeing what they've lost?
0: It is, and it's hard, like knowing what the issue is and the NRL not doing anything about it till this day. Yeah, um, there's still no real, like, they've put money into welfare, um, the sort of depression side of things, but like. It's when they get to that point. What are we doing now to help prevent them from getting to that point? And there's no mindset training within NRL clubs. There's no financial support like Which is really surprising.
2: Which is really, really surprising, you know, and especially even, you know, post you'd think that there'd be a an obligation from those clubs to, you know, and this is not me saying like they need to be doing this. I'm just saying it's I'm surprised that they don't, you know, for you like you were suicidal after losing
1: your job. But it's the same thing. You we've, know what I mean? We've talked about it like it's the same thing before with young people going into the mining industry or, you know, whatever other industry, you know, that is high paying um, when you go from sort of zero to hero and you just all of a sudden got a massive disposable income with not much education on how to, you know, use it wisely. It's across the board. It's probably not just oh, the NRL, Yeah, is no, it?
2: absolutely. But I'm so, like, it, you, you know, these guys are in the, in the spotlight. It must be, you know, and I... I I don't know, like the, the decisions that people make to go to different clubs, you'd think they'd be trying to do a bit more of that to entice more talent to come and be like, look, we just don't give a fuck about you rocking up and training and playing home on the weekend. We care about, you know, all these other things.
1: You know and if I mean? you said to a 20-year-old – no, you were 18 when you got your yeah. – yeah, so yeah. if you said to an 18-year-old, we'll give you a, you know, in Watson's Bay or wherever you were – We'll, uh, yeah, we'll give you this massive contract, come play for the club, oh, and we'll also put you through a, a financial management course. You know, is an 18-year-old going to jump at that? Do they even know what what, what no, but I think it's is? more like,
2: because they, they talk, oh, this stat is wrong, whatever I say here, but it's like the NFL. <laughs> Don't quote. The NFL, it's something like 80 or 90% of all NFL players are fucking completely broke within five or six years after they retire. And they're like on massive money, like hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're all flat fucking broke.
1: It's all relative though, because you're spending your money in the same sort of ratio as what you've sort of earned. You know, you're playing no, with that's the big th- boys. You want the cars, and that's what the, I mean. Whereas, thing. if
2: you could be like, you know, we're going to do these strategic things, set you up. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to have as much cash on you now, but I can guarantee you by the time, like, if you have a, you know, three, four, five year career, you're going to save you this much money. Like, you'll be set right up.
0: I think at yeah, the end they just it. need to be, they just need a financial planner, um, just to tell the players like how much they're earning what they can save at the end of this year to put them in a position to reach or to buy a house or to do what they want to do. Do also you think it's a
2: bit fucking what he's got and what he's doing? Because, like, you know, if you're playing at the Roosters, you've got James Tedesco's on a million bucks a year, and then you've got, you know, the, the younger guys that are coming through on a couple of hundred grand. But they're all, like, if they're all in the circle together, going out, hanging out, you know, like, like James Tedesco might be spending <laughs> five or six hundred bucks, you know, just for a meal. Out somewhere in Double Bay, and the f- the younger guys are like, oh fuck, we've got to try and keep up here. Yeah. Do you think there's any of that?
0: Yeah, I think there would be, but that's where the mindset sort of training comes in, hand in hand. Yeah, like goal
2: planning.
1: Yeah,
0: what you need to do to reach that. Like also,
1: w- also, what's the average like? What's the average like lifespan of an NRL player? Um, forty in, in in rugby league.
2: Um, it's something like forty eight games or something. It's two seasons.
1: Yeah. Two seasons. It's just less than two seasons. So that's that's kind of fuck all, really. If you the average teaching, average NRL player gets two, uh, yeah, forty eight games. I suppose if you were to map out at the start, look, you know, your best case scenario, you might be here for two years. You might be able to earn this much money. This is what you can do. When you start to get some real realistic numbers around it, maybe it, you know might start to shake things up a bit. Yeah, it is interesting. Do you look at where you were and where you are now, and you think about what you went through, and that if you hadn't have gone through any of that stuff, you wouldn't be. The bloke you are now. What do you think about that? It definitely
0: wipes away any sort of anger that I would have had for losing all that kind of money. Um, Any sort of regrets, they're out the window now just because I am who I am today because of their mistakes. Um, But I will be like a better person and now I can impact a lot more people and have a lot more influence than what I would have have, had if I – I didn't make the mistakes. Sorry, you
1: go. Well, I just think, you know, it's so common. I mean, I hear we hear stories of 20-year-olds. It seems to be like 20-year-old blokes seem to have the weight of the world on their shoulders and they need to be everything to everyone. And if they're not, the sense of shame that comes with that is sort of, it's it's ridiculous. But the reality is, is that at 20, you're just a baby and you need to make mistakes to figure out, you know, who you are, where you're going, what you're going to do. And without making those mistakes, like, you can actually come back from, you know, some of the worst mistakes and and be a far better person for it, or what? 100%. Like,
0: I thought I was my mistake, so because I got done with drugs and alcohol, I just thought, well, that's me now. Like, that's me the, me for the rest of my life. And until I met That's Glenn, my identity, who I am. Yeah, until I met yeah. Glenn and he told me, mate, you aren't your mistakes. Like, you might be labelled as this all over. Like, you looked my name up on the website on anything. It was, like, Jaden done with drugs, Jaden drink driving. And that's just who I thought I was. But until I changed who I was um, and started posting differently on social media, me running marathons <laughs> and all that stuff, like then people started to catch on. And funny story, my manager um, actually messaged me probably about three weeks into me making the change and goes, "Mate, is everything all right with you?" <laughs> and it, it's kind of weird. Like I was just because I was posting all that party boy stuff. Like that's who everyone thought I was. Yeah. And the minute I changed. Like someone thinks something's wrong. So
2: did you lose? Oh, well, I assume you've pro- you probably lost mates that you didn't need. You know what I mean? They're probably bringing you down by by the transition you've had. And well, what was that process like?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't really say lost mates. Like some of my mates actually came with me. Oh, and, great! And changed How that? their life, which yeah, meant a lot to me. I had family members changing their life. Um, one of my uncles was, was lost like thirty kilos. He's the one that helped me run the charity. He so we ended up running one hundred and eighteen k for this young boy Hendrix oh, who shit. he had a brain tumor at 8 years old and my uncle would have been 150 kilos then so him moving 118k was a massive challenge over 24 hours but he got through it and by him doing that like it inspired me to yep. push further and head towards
1: that NRL goal and That's yeah.
2: really cool. That's really cool. Bringing people along with you fuck that's awesome.
1: Um we should have a quick yarn about because this is a really cool stuff from what I've seen is everything that you guys are doing now with uh, I can see you you're wearing your bro chat t-shirt, um, which is cool. And I'm thinking here, this is hilarious because there's three young blokes with no with, with hair, and then there's one bloke without hair, which is. Glenn. He's got <laughs> hair, but it's on the <laughs> bottom, a, bottom side got of his a head, it on, it's on his, his face. chin, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is hilarious. Good uh, one, good one, Glenn. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, the stuff that you're doing with, um, you know, with youth development now is really, really cool with both boys and girls. Um, I'd love to hear more about that because I was watching a video that Glenn put together from one of the most recent mm-hmm. ones you did. And all the young fellas were going for a run, and you were down on the grass talking to them afterwards. And there were a mix of natural athletes and not natural athletes. I think your message was, "You're all spread apart." Is that what a team does? You know, the rest of you guys who are you know up the front who are natural athletes, you guys should be working together as a team and helping these other guys get through because that's that's what a team does. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, tell yeah. us a bit about the camps you've been doing man it was awesome mate. so these camps
0: obviously for me i made my mistakes well my big mistakes were a reflection of what i did during school um the consequences that it weren't handed to me during school which led to me obviously getting done with the drug thing and our big emphasis now is on the 11 to 17 year olds our society is it's shit these days like they're it's so much harder for them you got social media you got People clearing the pathway for you, and I feel like there's no harsh consequences now. Just because, man, if you get s- if you smack a kid, and you're their parent, like you could go to jail these days. Like it's just like yeah, no one gets true. smacked yeah. these days, so it's so much harder for us or yeah. like parents just to put these kids into line. So um, that's why we we focus on these young kids, and it's pretty much just to empower them, just to tell them that they are leaders. Um, I feel like nowadays parents sort of try control their kids to an extent um and if they're not controlling them they're yeah clearing the path and then kids sort of don't know what they want to be they're labeled to do this they're forced to do different things so we pull them away we take the phones off them um and we just run them through mindset training first we mix it with adventure um and mindset adventure and a physical aspect too and we put them through different training sessions and we it's pretty much like, just to push them outside of their comfort zone, but just to show
2: them that they can be who they want to be as well. And introduce themselves to something they've never been exposed to. us, so, Yeah, in, in a like way. we're like too
0: busy on our phones doing... Nothing. TikToks, nothings where... <laughs> Literally nothing. Could be out yeah. there learning. Like, the biggest thing for me was human connection. And these kids, just before we got on the bus to go um, to the big hike, they were asking if they can go on their phone to listen to music. And we were like, talk to each other. Well, how can you not, like, talk yeah, to yeah, each other? Yeah, when well, yeah. We get we gave them food packs.
1: Have a sing-along, boys. Um, Here we go. <laughs> yeah, we gave
0: <laughs> them food packs just before we left, and they were in the back seat, like, sopping food, and that got them talking to each other. But if we gave them phones, they'd just yeah, they be just texting be, their mates. Yeah, yeah. and Snapchatting. It's,
2: it's interesting that, um, you know, I think back when I was working in the Territory, there was a, a, f- a couple of Indigenous blokes there, and, like, the initiation, like, they'd tell us about, like, Chadrach was one of the guys, and he was going into initiation. And I was like, mate it is hardcore. Like the elders take them out middle of nowhere up in like Arnhem Land and stuff. They get circumcised when they're like 18 and but he's like, he comes back and he's like, greatest thing ever. Like we learn everything. We're exposed to the elements. We're living off the land. Like we learn all these stories and like you just don't get that with white people in Australia in regards like you just, there's no sort of, it's not initiation but it's sort of like there's no real big learning experience like that from older people and I just think You know, there's not enough, it's not line of respect, but it's like not enough people look up and learn from, you know, older people in our society and what they've been through and, like, mistakes that have been made. So, like, this sort of camp exercise you're putting together is allowing more kids to actually get exposed to this sort of stuff, you know what I mean? Be like, right? Oh, well, these are mistakes that have been made, but if I work really hard, I'm going to feel a lot better. And if I actually don't have my phone fucking world's not going to end. The other thing is also
1: being, a, being a mentor as well. Like I think, um, you know, sometimes parents can say the same things to their kids over and over again. And kids don't want to listen to their parents. And it's not until they hear that same thing from someone else who's like not their parent that they finally listen. They're like, ah, yeah. And it's like, I was, I was reading, um, Dylan Ruse, who's uh, Paul Roos son, an AFL coach, like one of the greatest AFL coaches I think ever. Um, he would always try to lecture his son, Dylan, and I saw a post from Dylan the other day saying that I'd never listen to my old, my, my old man. He's one of the best AFL coaches and I... And I I don't believe what he says. I don't, you know, I don't have time for it. So <laughs> Paul Ruse, so Paul Roos, Paul Roos organised a couple of mentors for him and it was not until he sort of heard the same stuff from other mentors that, you know, he actually Because you probably think it's
2: a bit of a lecture, it's, don't you? Yeah, you know? well, that's the
1: thing. And so even just giving a lot of these kids the opportunity or knowing that there's a few other people out there that potentially they can come and chat to any time if they need to, which, I mean, has any, have any kids reached out to you at all since, since yeah, camps? Yeah, I've had heaps. And that's the
0: reason why we wanted to do it too, we know that kids won't listen to their parents. They don't listen to teachers. I didn't listen to teachers or my parents. So I know what they're going through. But if you mix it with people like Glenn, whose daughter's climbed Mount Everest, me, I played NRL, that sort of gets the kids' attention straight away. I mean, oh shit, these I, guys have done stuff. Whatever I say, they they listen now too. And then we've got other people that love what we do. We've got my brother who jumps on. we got Taniella who's playing for the Reds at the moment. Um, we got Kassa who's a business owner. He owns a Woodland Shop Fitting. So we've got different people who... Yeah. are up how does tanielli get in you must have to open the roller door for him oh, to get man, in there. He's, he's got some tree trunk. <laughs> hey? like such a good dude but but he's another one that um sort of wanted to go back to tonga because he was sort of over footy over the limelight as
2: well yeah let's we'll get him on got get him on your eh? yeah bloody oath and what's the i suppose we're pretty much up for time aren't we deco yeah he was giving me the nod before but um what's or what like the aspiration like what's your 12 month goal this year like what is what does that look like
0: yeah, so twelve months footy's second for me. Um, I want to run these bro camps, ALA camps, grow it pretty big. We we're looking to get grants from the government, so we're gonna find out ways where we can get into that. Find sponsorships too. Um, we're gonna level them out like your bronze, where a business pays five hundred bucks to get a kid on, but then you might get a corporate sponsor that's worth ten grand, but you get to have five kids on and then Glenn will come and speak to you yeah. um, for like two-hour session, just figuring out our business plan
2: yeah. um, and then just go and head first. Awesome. And he you, you still got aspirations to get back into the NRL?
0: Yep, definitely. But that's sort of second for me. And I know that um, if I focus on helping other people, getting these programs up and running now – when I do get back in the NRL, I can
1: still focus on that as well. Your parents so. must be bloody proud now. Like, they must kind of think everything you went through was, like, one of the greatest, you know, f- fucking speed humps that anyone's ever had to <laughs> go over or what. Yeah,
0: I'm newborn child, they say. So <laughs> <laughs> still mum's favourite, though. Yeah, yeah, cool. Awesome. That's
2: great, mate. All right, fantastic. Well, um, really appreciate your time. It's bloody awesome. We'll put all the links up so everyone can check out Bro Chat, the podcast, everything you're doing with Glenn. And um, mate Thanks so much for your time Really appreciate it No awesome Cheers for coming in bro Thanks mate
0: Awesome How long was that?
1: If I stop I'll die